I got my first sponsor, my first legit sponsor, and it's underwear. And it's sheath. Sheath underwear. Now, I didn't take them out before. Now, these are really interesting underwear. First of all, they smell really good. I mean, they don't smell good. That was gay. Um, they do smell good, actually. They're soft. That's why I put on my face. They're soft underwear. They're naturally cool. Okay? They're called sheath underwear. They've got this cool logo on them. And then their whole gimmick is that you put your donger, you put your stuff there, and then this is a to-do. I mean, then you put your tube in there. I don't know if you can see that. So your donger rests your, your, uh, your... Your bits are in there, and your kibble is in there. And then it's literally like, it, you know, it gives you a nice little, a little extra uh, package there if you like that, if you're a person that wears jeans. and They got these cool colors. They're funky. And I'm going to tell you something. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Use my promo code. They, I don't sleep in underwear, man. I usually... Sleep buck because I have sheets like this. Even these are pretty soft. Like I have bamboo sheets. These are pretty almost like them. That's pretty right on there. I I would sleep on this if it was a sheet. And it's cool, like naturally cool. I like to sleep exactly. How, I don't like to wear underwear. I wore these to bed last night, and I didn't feel like they were cutting off my circulation. I fell asleep. Like this isn't me being a hoe. This is me believing. I believe in these underwear. Like. Um, we just started our partnership, you know, in order for them to be my sponsor, I got to get views, you know, and I think that there's a lot of things that we have to do, but it's like the algorithm is tough, um, but I love them. The brand, I haven't met the owner yet, but he's an upstart. It looks awesome. It's actually a very good product. You get a discount. You should try them. If you like underwear, if you like your package packaged up, um, I would try them, man. They're fucking good. They're really good. Like, I'm not going to do anything that I don't try. You know what I'm saying? So, try them. Do it. Sheathunderwear.com. And, and promo code Jamie. See, I yawned in the middle of that. You couldn't do that on TV. Because it doesn't matter. Everyone knows everyone's a liar. And I'm not lying. Larry's back. Back again. <laughs> Larry's back. Can you hear me? I've had actresses on this pod. Influencers. Strippers, porn stars, and athletes, you are the most, I have to say, care about what you look like before the camera starts than any. <laughs> no. Yes, you are. That's what you're going to say. I just opened the show with that. Yeah. Honesty is the day, dude. You are, what do you care? People, you look great. <laughs> this isn't going out to fucking 10,000 million people. Look at you. You're mirroring me. You have so much to say, but then when you get on camera, you're scared. So I'm going to teach you. <laughs> the new world is all about openness uh -huh. and letting it all hang out. Okay. Now, I understand you can keep your image crafted and such, but come on. It's okay. Relax. I want to have you on because you're such a smart guy. Okay. And people really loved your last appearance. Cool. <laughs> Don't be a fucking scaredy cat. You want to control everything. 
No. Yes, you do. Well, listen. Talk <laughs> to me first. This is Larry Guterman. Everyone knows him. Director of Ants, Cats and Dogs, Headless, and most importantly, Son of the Mask. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you. What's going on with the new cut? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it was, it's only uh, VHS quality res. We've been looking at different ways to up-res it. Okay. And also found some other material that improves it even more. Can I tell people that you found a lot of amazing jewels? Well, you just did. I know. <laughs> you found so many things within the movie that we did. I cry. It's so good. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff you guys played around with that uh, that worked. And? You know, and uh, if wasn't wasn't used, and we're able to put some of it in, and it's great, and it's funny. I mean, it's it's mo- you know most of the second act worked great in that cut that we talked about last time, and it was really just some of the setup that had a good pacing, but just needed a little bit of extra charm and life to it and energy to it. And that's where I found material that you guys improvised that was hilarious. I know. <laughs> Trailer's so good. Yeah, she's great. Really good. Do you remember when she came in audition? Yeah. Do you remember what she did? No, what did she do? She was mean to us. What does that mean? She came in, did the audition. She's like, okay. And we're like, good job. She's like, mm-hmm. And she was like so aloof. I have no recollection of that. And I was like. This girl is so good because she made us want more. Right. It was the perfect way to take a meeting. Like, she came in, killed it, and then was like, mm-hmm, and then left. Uh-huh. She's hilarious. Hilarious. And, I mean, she reminded me of, what's her name from Flirting with Disaster? What's her name? The Covenant's wife. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, but my brain's done. Yeah. She's Madam... Madam Tealione. Tealione. She reminded me of Tealione, who was, to me, one of the funniest... She is hilarious. She is. She is hilarious. Yeah. See what well, I She did? was in that show with Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah. Trailer. What's the sh- what was that show? Two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Okay. Yeah. Now listen. What do you say when you came here the other night? What did I say? You said, Jamie, I need to help you. You look at all my posters. What did you say? Yeah. Um, just that you were... I saw all the, I mean, I forgot all the stuff that you'd been in. And you had been building incredible momentum at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, really, it's kind of a rising star momentum. Out of the blue, like you came here with, wait, no connections, right? Nothing. Nothing. Just cold. Cold. And you built up a career and you built up shows. You created your own show. Mm -hmm. Who who creates their own show? With your name in it? Mm -hmm. That was funny and... Mm-hmm. Engaging and people loved, you know. Mm-hmm. Did movies? Did a bunch of? Did Scream? Did what's the movie? The Tony Scott's Enemy of the State. Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, all these movies that you were in that uh, that were 
A-level, huge, successful movies at mm. the time. So it'd be great to be able to give you the kind of redemption that you deserve. Is that what I said? Something yes. along those lines. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. Okay. Because you need the same redemption. You have so much talent and so much technique. You're a true cinephile. And it's like the town, because of this movie, has completely just, you know, just, you know, forget what we, what they liked us for in the beginning. Yeah. And it's like you have so much skill as a director. Like you, you're so meticulous. You're so talented and you look at every little shot and what's the music and the color palette and where is the editing and the pacing. Just talking to you about one idea, it'll take you a while to decide if that's the right idea. Because you, you think about the whole movie, how it affects the whole movie. And that's an auteur. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's what you... I think that's what most directors aim to do when they're making a film. Mm -hmm. um, well, not most. There's not a lot of good directors. Yeah. There's only a handful. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, like, there are a lot of directors... There's just a lot of directors that love the idea of saying they're a director. Right. And they get caught up. I hate when directors can't communicate what they want. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, let's just say, I wouldn't say there aren't a lot of good directors. I'd say there aren't a lot of great or go. brilliant directors, but I do think it's a great art form. It's the best art form. I, I think it combines music, storytelling, visuals, you know, photography, composition, everything. I mean, it, you know, sound, design. I mean, there is no other art form that could... I mean, I suppose game, gaming kind of does it, but gaming is, is, is a puzzle. It's not intended to be... to generate the kind of emotional catharsis you can get with a film. Right? And you were talking to me the other night passionately... About what? About about Barry. Oh, Barry. Yeah, Barry's great. And you had nothing but beautiful, beautiful words to say about Bill Hader. Yeah, this guy. First of all, when, when I first recognized Bill Hader, it was, you know, he had already, I guess he'd already been on Saturday Night Live. or. But, but then he was in, like, Night at the Museum, mm -hmm. where he, pl he played a character in the movie. Yeah. And he inhab you know, Saturday Night Live is satire. So when you inhabit the role in a Saturday Night Live sketch, you, it's purposeful exaggeration in order to make a comedic point about what it is that we can laugh at about that kind of character, right? Whether it's the new guy doing Trump who does such a great impression and he exaggerates his run-on sentences and his stream of consciousness <laughs> way of talking or whoever it is, it's a deliberate exaggeration when you're in a movie you're inhabiting a character where the audience is meant to feel so that's a whole other level of acting and not everybody can do that who can do comedy bill Hader can he can be a dramatic actor he can be a comedic actor so he was great and i remember seeing like who's this guy in night at the museum oh he's really good like he's inhabiting that role and he had a small role and he was great and then years later snl obviously hilarious and i guess a bunch of stuff was done with john mulaney 
and he does Stefan, he does all these characters, and he can get away with breaking on camera because he's so funny. Because because when he laughs at what he's doing, you're also laughing. So you're in on the mm-hmm. jokes. So you get a whole other level of enjoyment of that. And then I know Alec Berg, who is the showrunner, I guess, with... I'm not sure. He's showrunner or the co-creator of Barry with Bill. Mm-hmm. I know him from... he. I know him from college. He was on, on the Lampoon, and he um, he and his partners, Jeff Schaefer and Dave Mandel, wrote for Seinfeld. They wrote for Kirby yeah. Enthusiasm, and then he did Silicon Valley. Then he did Barry. Alec did Barry. And he did a draft of Curious George. He yes. and those guys, the three of them, did a draft of Curious George for me when I was going to direct it for Imagine and Universal for Ron Howard and Brian Grace's company. And... Um, that was a live action combined with CGI movie. Anyway, that version didn't get made. But anyway, um, Alec, I met with, I don't know, a few years ago about something. And then I didn't see anything. And then I saw Barry and I saw he's doing it with Bill. And I'm like, oh, Alec's brilliant. He's funny. He's hilarious. It's going to be a great show. Mm. Really good first season. Then comes the second season. And there's an episode that Bill Hader directs. I think it's in the second season, called Ronnie and Lily. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm-mm. And I'm like, what? First of all, I didn't know he directed it. And I watched this episode, and I'm like, this is a standout piece of directing. And it turned out later it was either nominated for an Emmy for Best Directing and a DGA Award for Best Directing, or it won. I'm not sure. And then I see it's directed by Bill Hader. I'm like, wait a second. Where does this guy, where is he coming from? He was just acting on Saturday Night Live. Now he's directing, and he's, he's doing things in the directing that I just haven't seen that are new. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Like it's certainly not C spot run to see Dick, Dick and Jane directing. It's not like the standard vocabulary of directing. It's pulling from, well, later episode he did called seven, 10 North. It's like George Miller meets Jacques Tati. It's like, um, an action scene where he's, there's a freeway chase. There's no Jacques CGI. Jacques Tati, what a deep... Pardon, yeah. Jacques Tati. Jacques Tati does these um, comedic French from Mon Oncle and, and Playtime. He did these movies where the camera is, it's like a tableau. It's standing back and it's watching. And your attention is directed by the sound. And there's almost no dialogue. And it's hilarious. It's sort of a combination of... Jacques Tati and Peter Sellers, like Peter Sellers in the party, mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. or um, or, in a, or as Inspector Clouseau. But and there's that meets George Miller, which you haven't seen. You haven't seen it. So there's an action sequence in a later episode in Barry, where he's being chased on the freeway, and it's fantastic. And there's no CGI; it's just cars backed up on the freeway. And he's going. He's on a little moped going between them, and he's holding a bag of beignets, <laughs> which he got in an earlier part of the episode. <laughs> But he didn't drop. But they're shooting at him. And he's still holding the beignets the whole time. <laughs> and you just hear, like, right channel, left channel. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And then finally, there's another guy waiting up ahead in, like, a pickup truck. And he stands up through the roof. And he aims a machine gun. And he fires at Barry and misses him. And then he holds out his gun for one of the guy's on a motorcycle who's chasing Barry to grab the gun and he grabs it and drops it on the freeway and the cars are really close together they're like three feet apart and it's real so it feels real it feels tense it's sort of like the Chris Nolan style but with comedy 
And then all of a sudden, the motorcycle in a single shot just hits a car, and the guy goes flying. And it's all like no music. It's all deadpan. It's all tableau. So it's like the comedy of Jacques Tati or even Buster Keaton or whatever. But but in a wide shot, like there's no close-ups. There's nothing. And you just hear the sound. You hear the guy go flying. And then it just mm, back to Bill Hader riding with the beignets as he goes to like a an auto dealership where there's some interview in front of the auto dealership. And then he, he rides up on the rooftop and no, the bad guys ride up on the rooftop and they shoot machine guns inside the store. And it's all in a wide shot. There's no close-ups. There's no cuts. They shoot the machine guns. Really? And Bill Hader shoots them from down below and they fall off and they die. And then he, he leaves and he's still got the beignet bag. of beignets. <laughs> And by the way, the beignets are not a, a random thing. There's an, there's a whole storyline. Don't tell is, me. I want to watch. Okay, yeah. Here's the thing. Dude, you spoke. That's calm compared to what you were telling me the other night. I want the audience to know. You were effusing beautiful, superfluous about Bill Hader's directing. And I told you that the guy is a unicorn. Now, I didn't know he directed either, but I'm not surprised because the guy, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about him, but but, but he's just an amazing actor, but he also can do any character. Funny or or serious. Yeah. He's a really good impressionist. Yeah, he's great. Amazing impressionist, but I don't know if people realize how, like, he doesn't just hang his hat on that. He's also an incredible writer. Right. And, um. He is. But he also started very humbly. He started on, like, being PAs on, like, movies. Right. Oh, there's a famous story I saw. Yeah, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that's right. So, that's- he's, but you said that this is a top tier like, he's ready yeah. to do his own, like, oh, yeah. La La Land. He needs to do that. Yeah. And I'm sure he will. Yeah. And I, I, mean, would, I mean, I mean, there's no question that... And I just love it because people look at comedians, and he's not. He does many things. I wouldn't label him. I would label him multiple things, not just a comedian. But right. they, they try to put you in a box, and I love that he's just jumping out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have any um, doubt that he'll be able to do that. He has... Um, you know, he talked about reading Anna Karenina for like the characters in Barry. He talked about, look, Barry is like some kind of crazy shit. And he talked about Breaking Bad being an influence and so forth. And mm-hmm. um, Vanessa Bayer is in an episode where she plays a TV executive. Did I send that to you? I'm going to watch a it. clip. Yeah. And she's like, You got to. I'm going to oh, Sa- watch Sal- Sally- Sarah Goldberg is the actress that Bill cast. Uh, I saw that that yeah. scene by the pool. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. Mom. brilliant. Yeah, she's great. She's Canadian. She she plays Sally Reed, who's his girlfriend in the show. You know the premise of the show is yeah, he's an assassin and he wants to be an actor, and he, so he joins an acting class in North Hollywood, and she's in the class, and nobody knows he's an assassin on the side, and um, he's trying to get out. Yeah, I think I think I read somewhere they talk Breaking Good. <laughs> <laughs> now I love uh, yeah, dude, it's incredible. Yeah. You've turned me on to it. I want you to open up and talk. Yeah. But you get scared. No. But people don't realize how you're so educated. You know, you went to USC, you went to MIT, and you went to Harvard? Yeah. Physics. (sighs) Now, we were talking the other night about AI, and I think it's coming along much faster than you do. No, I think it's coming fast. And then you sent me an article the other day, kind of, basically, you, you, you confirmed my 
my my beliefs uh-huh. because there was a whole thing that happened with AI. Which which one are you talking about? Some guy hacked somebody for a bunch of money. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Oh, it was uh, what's his name? He did it, a Cory Doctorow, who wrote Robopocalypse, the movie that Spielberg is going to direct. He is a writer on technology, and he's a well-known. Uh, can author. you talk? Can you talk about what we were talking about with AI? Yeah, and how they train it. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I was just saying, you know, prior to ChatGPT coming out, OpenAI has been around for a number of years, and there have been some. You know, I had been looking at. Before it came out, I'd been looking for years at its progress because we were interested in using some early um, versions of the early deep neural net algorithms for the sound work that we were doing at my tech company. And it's really cool because someone did a demo where you could put a voice on top of a voice like you could have two voices playing. Sorry about that. Two voices completely playing, and you could use deep neural nets to separate out the two voices completely and play back one, even though they're talking on top of each other, and reproduce basically. Re- it's essentially reconstructing, I guess, one or or the other voice. And the idea, and and then you can, and, and with no interruption from the other voice. So that's a pretty sophisticated thing to be able so to do. So you and I are talking right now. Start talking. Like, 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 we're hey, like what are you doing? Hold on. What, no, what is your issue? You got, exactly. So you could take it and completely separate them, right? Wow. Now that's different from what they did with the Beatles, where they separated the voice from the music because the audio characteristics of music are extremely different from voice. But when you separate voice from voice, that's a whole other level. And then, when you, then the idea is that with enough com- computational capacity, you could separate one voice from hundreds of voices. So you could be in a restaurant example if you have hearing loss and you can't hear the person sitting across from you because of there are hundreds of people chattering and you could just zero in on a single voice and get rid of all of the other voices so you can you could hear them well right so that's some of the but that but that requires enormous computational power and that computational power has been improving radically year over year right so it's getting very close that solution i don't know how close that is but anyway the point I was making was that I was, as I was tracking this stuff, I was seeing, I did, for example, there's a great little po- uh, YouTube channel called Two Minute Papers. And it's like a Hungarian PhD guy in computer graphics who tracks progress in AI and CGI. And he's very interesting because he always says somewhere in the podcast, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> he says that in every podcast. So if anyone watches that and yeah. they hear that that's they'll a, see that my impression is pretty close that's a bill Hader character that is <laughs> it is he should watch that <laughs> and he should do that guy because that guy's really into what he does is he'll show the academic research paper the written part and then he'll show videos that are associated with it and show the progress and he'll show the progress from six months ago mm-hmm. so the training data that's been fed the amount of training that's been done has increased and how it concomitantly improved the result. So, for example, they showed one with boxing. So, they had two CGI, like almost Rock'em Sock'em robot looking characters. That's not the important part. The important part is they're trying to train them how to box on their own, how to learn how to box. So, the two guys, one's red, one's blue, they're in the ring after a hundred. By the way, I said a hundred thousand the other night. It's, oh, it's a hundred million. 
iterations of training, okay? After 100 million iterations, they're standing opposite each other, the two um, CGI boxers, and they're like this. And they're shaking. They're shaking. And then they both fall backwards simultaneously, okay? Like after 200 million iterations, they get a little closer, but they're still shaking. They don't punch. After 300 million iterations of training, they're kind of trying to jab each other, but nothing is quite landing. And after 400 million, one of them takes a swing and the other one gets knocked out. And you're like, okay. Unlike with humans who have 3 million years of evolution in our brains and our brains use far less power than these AIs do, which use an entire data center of power. <laughs> like we, we run on a few watts of power, our brains. We can figure out how to like avoid a punch and throw a punch. You can do that when you're like three years old. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So these things take way more training now. It's going to get better, but now. 400 million iterations, one throws a punch. Now here's the, here's the crazy part. Then they continue to train it further. 500 million, 600 million, all the way to 800 million iterations of training. And they come back together and they shake and freeze and they both fall backwards again. What does that mean? That means that we have no idea what the optimum... <laughs> amount of training is necessary to train something to generate the right answer. That's why half the time when you go to chat, GPT gives you the wrong answer very confidently. And then you say, no, that's the wrong answer. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Don't say that. Let me correct it. You're, so, they, they, chat GTP will hear you saying that. That's okay. No, it's going to be mad at you. It, it, well, maybe in a few years right now it won't because it's got all these guardrails. <laughs> but anyway, but um, my point is that we don't know what the optimum amount of training is to make something effective for any given task, whether it's a narrow task or a broad task. And that could lead to what... So, so I think what will happen is, for example, now when you train on faces and you do, I don't know, deep fakes or whatever, and you have 8 billion faces on the internet because there's 8 billion people on the planet, that's a lot of data to train on to be able to like make a job. And then each face has a a hundred photos or a thousand photos of it. So now you've got it from every angle. I mean, that's how they did like Harrison Ford, let's say in the latest Indy Jones movie, they looked at all his photos of him and they trained and they replaced his old face with his younger 40 year old face. So, so let's say the 8 billion people times a thousand pictures per person. So that's 8 trillion <laughs> pieces of data. That's a lot of training data, right? So, Look at now, now people are afraid that, oh, movies will just get made by AI. And they, and they kind of will. But the thing is, there isn't nearly as much training data, right? There's only, in the history of movies, there's only 100 years old. Maybe if there's 1,000 movies a year at most, that's 100,000 movies instead of 8 billion faces or 8 trillion pieces of training. It's 100,000 movies. Now, of those 100,000 movies, how many are good and how many are great? So maybe 10,000 are good. And maybe like 100 or 200 are great. I mean, when you look at the list from the AFI, you know, it's the Godfather, Citizen Kane. It goes all the way down. How many are like two fifty? No, they they do like a hundred. But let's say there's two fifty great movies. Yes, that's two hundred and fifty pieces of data. Yes, to train from because you don't want to train on bad movies. No, because then you're going to make bad movies. Yes, right. So, what happens is what I think is going to happen is you're going to be training on films, and you'll be able to say. If you're not a director, you won't be able to know where to put, the, right? You won't be able to know how to stage, how to compose, how, what lenses to use, whatever. So it's going to kind of infer all that from the movies it's seen and try to do that. And you'll get these weird 
you know, results. And maybe they'll get a little better and a little better. But at a certain point, there won't be enough to train on anymore because there were 8 trillion pieces of data for faces, but there were only 200 good movies. Right? Yeah. And that's many orders of magnitude smaller. So what's it going to do? It's going to start to train on AI-generated movies, like a next generation. Training on itself. And, uh, training on itself. And then a third generation. So you're, a fourth generation. So it's like a training on a cassette tape of a copy of a copy of a, of a copy, copy of a copy of a copy. So eventually it's going to be garbage. And it might not be garbage to the AI, but it's going to be garbage to humans. Humans won't be able to understand what the fuck hmm. is, is being presented to them. Now, it may not matter at that point because maybe the AI wants to go do whatever it wants to do for... Uh, that's all... Jim Cameron and the Terminator, Skynet, whatever stuff. But my point is that if you just simply look at the process that's coming, and apparently I talked to an, a writer who's a freelance writer for The New Yorker and a bunch of other um, publications, and he said there's a term for that. It's called AI rot, R-O-T. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing. I just sort of speculated. AI rot. Come AI rot. So it's just, you're just going to be creating garbage. But you said the AI trained and it hit its peak at four hundred million, right? And then it got you, worse. Be, yeah, so we overtrained it. That's well, right. We don't but know we, where to pull back. No, we're, not only do we not know where to pull back, but we don't even know what the AI is doing the whole time it's doing it. You see, it's a black box to us. Now, so, so now I just read yesterday or this morning that Sam Altman wants. Three trillion dollars. Three trillion dollars. Three trillion dollars for his next project. Right. What is it? It's, it's um, it's he's uh, looking embedding, for three embedding AI trillion. into into chips. So it directly into the chips, so <gasps> that the the whole thing is the compute cycles, right? So that's why Nvidia is so successful. I gotta buy a bunch. Nvidia of was just graphics processing. We but needed to go buy Nvidia stock. Well, you should have bought it before. But it's going to keep going. It, it, it will. So what's hap what is the whole thing there? All it is is what's called matrix multiplication, which is in order to do these calculations, you have to multiply matrices. Matrices are just array, like two-by-two two arrays of, and then multidimensional arrays. Dude, my audience is not this smart. Go, okay. go simple. <laughs> my point is that those, chi those NVIDIA chips, which used to do it for computer graphics in like the 90s, now we're converted into being useful to be able to do these enormous computations so in, to do the AI. So NVIDIA, so tell me when I'm when I'm off the rails here. It's just so I give people a little bit, because I love this stuff, and you could talk about mm -hmm. it, and I want you to open up. <laughs> I'm directing you. Compute, just to go back. So computers were, are basically what I know from computers, the dumbest little thing is it's one and zero, on, off. Mm -hmm. on off binary non-binary and that's pretty much what computing is and then as silicon valley as the transistors got smaller more chips could be put on the chip more little transistors could be put on the chip which made things computational power go quicker mm -hmm. am i right so far uh -huh. and so now we've actually run out of physical space Base on the chip. We can't fit any more silicon, which is sand, that we make the transistors on to put them on. And now we're going, what we want to do is go into the quantum realm, which is that computer that is stored under 233 degrees. And NVIDIA mm -hmm. is the Indian chip company. I don't know where NVIDIA I don't know. And they are now, you're telling me that Sam Altman, 
wants to put AI directly on the chip? Yeah, I don't know the specifics. How can it. you do that? No, I mean, I don't know the specifics of that. I'd have to. Well, tell me, that. you're smart. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying that what you want to be able to do is do more computations per unit time in order to be able to be faster, in order to make a more effective AI. And in order, you can do that in software on a layer over above the chip. And I'm speculating that he wants to be able to burn it directly into the chip in either what's called the firmware or the hardware directly. But I don't know the specifics. So the AI... To make it faster. All of the learning would be already in the chip. I, I guess so, but again, I don't know. I haven't read deeply about it, but I'm I'm speculating that would be the case. And so, what would not, that they're mean? not at quantum computers yet. That's what would not, that mean? It would mean that the what's called the compute, which is the speed at which the calculations are done, is increased by various factors. Sometimes an order of magnitude. Order of magnitude is ten times. So, two orders of magnitude is a hundred times. So wait, the simplest way to do that is exp You're saying exponentially. So to me, it's linear is two plus two is four. Right. And exponential is Squ squared, squared or cubed or whatever. Yeah. So it's like very quickly you get to. Sorry, not squared. Uh, two, two to the X is called that. So 10 to the one, 10 squared, 10 cubed. That's exponential. Right. So 10 cubed is a thousand. 10 to the fourth is 10,000. So it goes up like <sighs> that. And that's what these will do. I don't know. I don't know the specifics of it, but presumably it'll just make it much faster. You'll be able to do it on a much less equipment. I mean, that's been the story of computers since day one. I mean, I mean the Do you the think he'll that, raise the money? I don't know, but it seems like all the money is going into AI right now. Like on like that's at least in the next few years, all the VC money. You said they're gonna make they're gonna make a few trillionaires. That's what they that's what they say. And then the rest are going to fuck. Well, what will happen is it'll be like what happened in the first, in the last round, which was Zuckerberg, you know, Musk, you know, like five, Peter Thiel, you know, like 10 guys and women uh, will, will win. And everybody will be supporting Apple, Google, Microsoft, Meta. So that'll happen again with AI, but, you know, there used to be IBM and General Electric and all those companies, and they got IBM's market cap, which is still in the billions, is nowhere near what Apple and Microsoft is now, which is in the trillions. So maybe some new AI, maybe OpenAI will dwarf all these other companies. I don't know. But it's scary because there's so much power concentrated in the hands of very few people. <laughs> and then it could get out of control. I mean, Jeffrey Hinton who's the Toronto-based British computer scientist who was, a lot, was, among others, was one of the pioneers of the most recent version of deep neural net AI calculations, the one that has exploded and that led to ChatGPT. He went on 60 Minutes. You saw this, right, where he basically said, we basically unleashed a Frankenstein monster and we don't know what it's going to do and I feel really bad. He's a modest, humble scientist who is doing this research that uh, I think in Toronto and in UC San Diego and elsewhere. And he did this research with group with these folks and he became a researcher at Google and he resigned like last year, I guess, because of what they saw was happening with ChatGPT, which 
was they couldn't believe what they had created. So if the people who created it couldn't believe what they had created, that's something to worry about. That's why they all wrote that letter. But it's a little bit two-sided. You know, Sam Altman signed on the letter saying we need to control it. But he also wants He's not to raise stop. $3 trillion. <laughs> so it's hard to know. Why was he fired? I don't know. Um, I, I think What's the, your yes, speculation? Oh, think, from what I understand, the board there thought that he was doing things not staying true to transparently the ideal of trying to control it a bit like he and but everyone there loved him and so they re, he was reinstated and i think the board members were fired or some of them were fired um but i don't know the inside story much i just heard that dude you're holding back <laughs> what do you mean it's insane Oh, it's no insane. one really understands. See, I think AI is, I think in two years, if you if you read anything about Ray Kurzweil, mm-hmm. okay, who has done many different things. He's truly a renaissance guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he's 78. And he takes like 120 pills a day to get to what he calls the bridge. Do you know what the bridge is? No. So Ray... Kurzweil would probably be someone who is what people would say is a transhumanist, mm-hmm. which basically we're already s- slowly already doing that. If you've got a piece of metal in your knee or a pacemaker in your chest or a little wire mesh in your ankle, you're already starting to become not just human. Mm-hmm. So Kurzweil is saying by 2045 was when the bridge to what is human and what is non-human will be completely melded. Uh-huh. And he takes a lot of pills to keep his biological body healthy so he can meet that. And yeah. It's basically a way to be live forever. Immortal. Yes. Right. Now, a lot of people saying it's bumped up to 2060. But what by 2060? That 2045 is where we'd hit this bridge right. where biology meets technology and you won't be able to tell the difference. Right. And and 2060 is, is what? Is now looking like it could be that. Like it's 15 years ahead of schedule. And I've heard this multiple times. Sorry, I thought you said 2045 according to him. Yes, but now people are bumping it up and they're saying they're hiding it because So it's, you mean 2030? It's go- 2030, excuse me. Oh, you said 2060. So yeah, my yeah. apologies. So and when I'm when, meaning when I'm 60. Right. When I'm 60, the world would be insane, but I think every year yeah, we're hitting maybe not exponential, but we're definitely tubing some stuff like right. we're jumping very quickly. Right. And I, we cannot stop. Right. Human beings, do you agree, are a curious beast? Yeah, I think. And we cannot stop. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. And it's out of the bottle. Sam Altman will not stop. Right. It's out of the bottle. And, sure. And it's scary. But there's nothing really we can do. Um, You're smart, Larry. Yeah, I mean, there's a few people who can do stuff. Elon Musk, How? How are you going to stop it? The problem is is other countries. Of course. You think China's going to stop? No, 
And then I remember this is an interesting story about China. When I, w- I, w- I would say about 2005, I was talking to somebody who was doing a lot of work around, you know, China was a big market opportunity for folks in, in the entertainment business years ago. You know, I don't know if you remember Mike Ovitz. Of course, legend. It was at Disney and he wanted to, he'd been cultivating relationships in China to open markets there and so forth. And the Chinese just have this like long-term plan that's like 50 years, 100 years. You told me that the Chinese are playing the long con. Very, very I don't know if it's a con, but it's a long game. It's it's to the ascendancy in all areas, you know. Um, and to some extent they're succeeding, and to some extent they're not. But, they're, but I remember hearing about this. Um, in 2005, when they were trying to get into the computer animation game, you know, the Pixar DreamWorks animation game and try to make those movies there. Um, I talked to someone and he said, oh yeah, right now there are 500,000 people in China learning computer animation at various computer graphics you know, programs. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. ...at colleges and universities around China, 500 thousand in 2005 that's 19 years ago Mm -hmm. so they just could scale up their learning far beyond anywhere else in the world just because of their population Mm -hmm. and so that's absurd i mean when i started in computer graphics in the early 90s we'd be like there might have been five thousand people in the whole world who were doing it Mm -hmm. right and all of a sudden five hundred thousand people in china in 2005 are training learning how to do this stuff it's just this sheer scale of it, you know, knocked me out. Like I realized, oh my God, like they can just take over everything if they want to, if they're clever about it, clever enough about it. I mean, I have a friend who teaches, he's a professor at USC in screenwriting and he teaches, he, he goes over to China every year. He's been going over for years to teach teaching storytelling and screenwriting in China. Yeah, Hollywood, Hollywood tricks. S- storytelling. Yeah. And they're not doing it because... It's an altruistic, I mean, USC isn't doing it because it's altruistic because they get paid, but China isn't doing it because they want like friendly, they're doing it to learn the skills to be able to dominate. And now their Chinese film market, people go see Chinese movies in China. They don't go see Hollywood movies anymore. I mean, if you look at the numbers from this past year, apparently the, the Chinese films dwarfed the box office in China compared to American films. You, so do you think that China wants to, just dominate the entertainment space more than Hollywood and put their own messaging in or just dominate? Uh, I mean, to the extent that it's a free market there and that people are making movies to make money, that's not a conspiracy. To the extent that the Chinese Communist Party wants to impose power and hegemony around the world wherever it can with Belt and Road Initiative and whatever else, and to the extent that being able to put out entertainment and or propaganda in the world is helpful, you know. So, dude, yeah. 
Here's a, here's a Chinese AI story that I don't think people yeah. know. They're so ahead of the game, way ahead of it, and they won't stop. They won't stop. No, it'll be like a movie where the Chinese, it's the, like the Chinese dude, like built something and he got out of control, and it'd be like, I didn't know, and it's like it'll be like a movie. Because so <laughs> here's just one example: uh. if you were gonna borrow money from a bank, how many data points do they check off the top of your head? 10, 15. Yeah. Right. What's your income? What's your asset? What's your credit score? Right. What's your job? Your history? Blah, blah, blah. Where do you live? Right. right. This is just one of like a thousand apps that they do. China has a peer to peer lending app. Uh-huh. And it has over, I don't even know. What's 5,000 points of data. Oh, shit. So not just like those basic ones, to the point of... Like where I could lend you money. And you you can lend me money, and they will, with using AI, decide whether it's a good investment or not. You get a score at the end. Oh, shit. And, and it, even to... They judge you on how you stroke your keys. Like that's... Like, are you aggressive enough? Are you... Are you milky? Uh-huh. Are you meek? Like uh-huh. all of this stuff. Do what? How is your health? Like they they do. Where, where what you is your friend this? circle? Where did you read about? This? You could. It's YouTube videos. There's a whole thing about AI. You go uh-huh. just jump in AI China, uh-huh. and literally like who, they look. They look at all your social media. Yeah. Who is they do they things I can't even think about. They go through you like a fucking virus. That's insane. And then and it comes up and probably you know. A minute. <laughs> they go right. through all that or probably quicker right. and then decide whether you're a good candidate. So wait a second. So you can so re- do you know the name of this peer to peer app? No. But Fine. it's on I saw it's on YouTube and it's le- legitimate. And the guy who's the head of who's basically like the Peter Thiel of China, who invests in all these things, this was one of his babies, but he has like hundreds of investments and this was like one I was like It's not the Alibaba guy. No, I don't think it's Alibaba. Which I can't find no one can find him. Maybe he's back now. That's insane. Yeah, well that's a whole other ball of wax. But that's a that's obviously a privacy that's like a whole other level of invasion of privacy and yeah. security. It's like Well I mean if you look in my building right now, it's a lot of rich Chinese people. Because they're coming the LA's becoming very Mr. Chow's Shout out in Beverly Hills stays open really late now. In Beverly Hills, where it closed earlier. Why? Rich Chinese people. They want to eat late. I like to eat late. So you could see that people are coming from China, putting their money into LA. Yeah. Because you got to keep your money. Right. So what you're saying is not wrong. Right. And it's happening. I mean, my building, these, I'm like, back in the day, this building would be full of, you know, struggling actors. Right. They can't afford it. Right. Struggling comedians, you know. Now it's like rich people from other countries, right, coming in and dom- buying up a lot of stuff. But it seems like ma- which I'm fine with people who are wealthy in China who are either buy a property or rent or whatever in the U.S. and Canada. I know they do that a lot in Vancouver. A lot in Vancouver, um, and I think Vancouver was Hong Kong because before the that happened in the nineties. Vancouver, pardon? They call it Vancouver. Okay, do they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that was to get away from. You know, dictatorship, mainland, the mainland China takeover of Hong Kong. But, yes, but maybe now it's also to like diversify your your money so that 
if something happens in China, you you know, you have it in in Western bank accounts. But um, that's interesting about the peer to peer. That's thing. just one of them. That's that a, seems like a crazy, like that's a totally tech idea. Like I, like as soon as you said it to me, I was like, wait a second, that's a completely tech idea. It's like a Silicon Valley idea, but I haven't heard of it here. No, because we don't have the capability. We, we have they it. probably do. Sam Altman probably has it. Like, yeah. but it's just not out yet. But like, yeah, you, you got to watch a show called Devs. I don't watch a lot of stuff. Uh, Devs, you would love it. Okay. Um, Nick Offerman. Oh, uh huh. Great. He's About like software developers. He, yes, people know. Him. Well, he's like a he's like a tech titan. I don't uh-huh. want to tell you too much, but it's really it's just a show that just washes over you. And I was totally into it. Uh-huh. And like I like those. That's why I want to watch. I mean, it. Is it like Silicon Valley? No. Okay. It is Silicon Valley, but it's a it's a dark version. Okay. And it's really it's Nick Offerman's totally serious in it. He's awesome, and um. It's where we're headed if we're not already there. And it's basically all about building quantum and what it can do. And it's right. basically his why he's building it. It's something in his own life that he wants to fix. Okay. So he builds this. Think of it like, you know, Dr. Manhattan. Are you familiar with all of like the, um, I forget, not, you know, Dr. Manhattan is or Rorschach? No. I forget all that. But did the original comics before all this stuff was uh zach schneider directed the comic book movie what the fuck is it called i'm so stupid oh the um yeah watchman the watchman right so these are characters within the watchman which was the first time i'm not a comic head but where i actually read something in the comic book and i couldn't put it down because they right. were real people with extraordinary uh powers so if you there's a character named dr manhattan and he kind of Make Spider Man like you believe it, right? And he's basically like right. can build any. He's, he's can go here to the moon, and he sits there and he contemplates, and he's like these people. He's like so smart, and and there's different characters. Yeah. Anyway, there's like hints of AI in that stuff, and about building this like God, and that's what this this right. quantum stuff is. It, it literally to me is a God. Yeah. Well, it, uh, I mean, it's just meant. I mean, what it's meant to do is increase the capacity in the computer. Again, orders of magnitude more than classical computers just because it's more than ones and zeros. There's multiple states of possibility. But my understand I just read an article saying that at least currently there... First of all, I think writing code for it is harder, although now AI can write the code. So, But also... Um, saying that classical computers have other ways to be able to keep up, but you know that's that will change in time probably. And I don't know what that like. There's a lot of hype around quantum computing, and then there's a lot of what's the reality and how you know like they've been talking about nuclear fusion for sixty years, <laughs> and they haven't quite. I know, but you you're basing it on. I read an article, and you just believe the article. No, you know I read a, a range of articles and okay, good because you yeah. have to read everything absolutely. And you have to make a, an informed decision. Decision or at least an informed opinion. <laughs> Which we're not allowed to do anymore. You know that. You can't make an informed opinion? No. Why? Because you're supposed to just believe what they give you. Well, who's they? What do you mean? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know who you're... The, if, if, if I were to not believe... If the people just subscribe to CNN... Right. 
right? And I go, well, I don't, I don't know if I totally believe all this. I'm going to watch some Fox News. Right. The people at CNN, if I look at Fox News, would say, oh, you're a right wing. Yeah, that's true. And it's just like, a, it's like, no, or if I want to watch them. If you look at Fox News, they'll say, oh, and you're, and you're a left wing. You're left wing. But so I have to look at that. I have to look at NPR. Yeah. I have to read The Atlantic. I have to listen to Ben Shapiro. I've, I take information, I listen to Rogan. I go and get right. it from all different. But right. if, if zealots in those groups really believe their thing, if you go outside of it, the echo chamber, they'll call you, they'll judge you. I mean, the thing is, there's that, which is a level of quote unquote research. Yes. But it's a surface level, regardless, wherever it is, Fox News, Ben Sh- whoever it is, that's, that's, a, that's a level of abstraction or several levels of abstraction removed from the actual expertise. So you got to go read the papers. Forget about watching CNN. Read the original science, scientific research paper on whatever the subject matter is, global warming to whatever, okay? But you're not an expert in statistical analysis, <laughs> So at some point, you have to be able to trust. The problem is not that there are all these different media outlets that are giving you biased opinions or they're biased by omission, right? Which they are on all sides, okay? Because I look at all sides. I, I, I know I, you're I a very you reasonable do. guy. But it's also the fact that you can't um, – it's really – <laughs> so, so it's really hard to be able to judge things once you drill down because you're not an expert in the field. So how are you going to know whether the paper is correct or it's bullshit? How are you going to know whether the p-value in the statistical analysis is valid or not? You're not because you're not a statistician <laughs> and you don't know. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, there has to be a level of, so yeah, so there has to be a level of trust re- recreated. I mean, social media tore apart trust in the country, tore the country apart, caused caused the, the division of the country in 2016. I mean, social media act. You know, and it wasn't. Have you seen the social dilemma? The of course the Netflix movie. So it wasn't intentional. It was advertising dollars, right? It was a bunch of ha- it was a bunch of developers, a hundred developers, uh, optimizing the algorithm for your likes and dislikes. So you got ads and you got content fed into your feed that meant that you would be more hooked, and when you were more hooked. You, it was a self-fulfilling feedback loop. And then all of a sudden, the country's like riled up on the left and on the right based on your preconceived notions about you, uh, and your values. So, And that was all just so that companies could make money selling ads. See, I have a... I have so, by a, the way, so it was value neutral. It wasn't like somebody created a, a system to be able to do that. It's just that was the result of the system. And the system being the desire... To make more and more money. By the way, which all I think goes back to this one class at the design school at Stanford, which is a class in UI, right? User interface. Did you design. go to Stanford too? No. Okay. But there's a famous class at the Stanford. I don't know if it's in the, the Stanford Design School or something. UI design, UI user interface design, um, which which maximize or which optimizes. Uh, or which shows how to hook the user the most when they're making adjustments on their phone. And that fed into everything. <laughs> it's funny, you know, like this thing, just the fact that when the iPhone 1 first came out, you could swipe and things would move and they'd kind of recoil and it felt tactile. 
and that was a that gave you a little ser- serotonin hit or an endorphin dopamine hit. <laughs> for sure and then of course layers upon layers after that with facebook and like buttons and all that it just led to this insane sort of addictive behavior <laughs> on the phone that led to and it, you know what was facebook it was a phone it was a yellow pages it was basically on online and targeted ads became the thing and then targeted news feeds and then then you have the country splitting apart i never met mark but i met um sean parker oh you did i have a woman she's a legend her name is robin mhm bechtel mhm she's the most progressive person in hollywood with tech uh-huh she kept Warner Brothers very profitable when albums were going out the door because she knew how everything was going online. Mm-hmm. So she knew everyone. She hooked me into MySpace before anyone knew. She hooked me into YouTube. I was one of the early accounts with YouTube, all this stuff. And she said, this Facebook, you got to watch this. It's going to blow up in 2005. Mm-hmm. It was a year after when it was only Harvard EDU. Right. And so I was investing in stuff. Did you invest in it? And I said, I want to invest. I said, I said, I want to become a member. And Sean Parker was like, you can't. And I go, why? And he goes, because it's private. That's private. Because <laughs> I wasn't in college and I wanted to invest. And they were already had so much. But I met him uh-huh. because she knows him. She knows yeah. everyone. Yeah. And I said, this is going to blow up. And, and you were right, but you didn't invest. <laughs> I couldn't. They right. had institutional investors and they weren't taking monies. Right. And here's the issue. There was a point where Terry Semmel offered them a billion dollars. All right, I remember. And Mark said no. And that's when I met Sean Parker. Okay. And he was like, a lot of people wanted him to take that bill. Didn't Terry Semmel buy Yahoo or something? Yeah, he did. And this dude had the vision to see, boom, what it is. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's just like a one in a billion brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Do you remember reading, I don't know if this is apocryphal or true, but online you can find a text message that Mark Zuckerberg sends to his friends saying, I can't believe these fucking people are giving me all their private information. Ooh. I don't, I don't know if this is like a Snope, you know, it's like a false thing or if it's real but it seems like it might be might have been real dude i believe it listen this is that's when he was in college yeah i mean the guy was it's it's incredible um i'll stay on hollywood because i you're holding back a little bit and i love you but you're so effusive but you're a little scared because you got this you're still believing in the hollywood system and i'm done with it believing in it i don't do you think hollywood is dying definitely Transforming in, in ways that are unpredictable. How's your politician career? Come on, man, be blunt. <laughs> no, Let I mean I, that's what out. I think. I think that it, I think that I think that there's some chaos in the system. The chaos is it's always changed. Yeah, but now I feel like it's gone. It's blowing apart. Right. Thank you. Right to to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean I think streaming was a huge. Uh, Not the even short, the short term, the short term desire for profits and streaming meant that all of a sudden all these streamers rose up, 
And now all of a sudden there's going to be consolidation because they can't all be profitable and not everybody's going to pay for every. And it used to be you paid 110 bucks a month for cable. And now if you want to, if you want Apple, Netflix and everything it's else, it's 110 bucks. bucks. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so those are going to consolidate and they haven't figured out on the business side, they haven't figured out a business model that's profitable amazingly because they're making 500 shows and they've got all these hundreds of millions of subscribers, but they haven't, I don't know, somehow figured out how to, supposedly, they're saying, they haven't figured out how to make it pro- profitable. And so, because the model is so new and it's so fluid. So are you saying Netflix is not profitable? Now, I, don't, I don't know about Netflix, but my understanding is Disney Plus is in trouble. That's Disney. I mean, they have deepest, you know, extremely deep pockets. Um, wow. You know, and some of the others are. I don't know what the status of Netflix is. But um, it's amazing to me because they generate hundreds of shows now, way more than ever existed in the past. Yeah, you know what shows will come out? Somehow they don't have enough subscribers, and now they need to put ads back in, and nothing. It's like a crazy. Now, now they have ads, but you have to pay for it, but pay less with ads. So you have to stop every. I watched Fargo, and it's like commercials again. It's like it might as well be like network TV from from the '80s or something, which is a proven model. Dude, Which was a proven model. Do you know what would come on in the late seventies when I was a kid and I'd sit in front of the box? Uh-huh. You'd well, have All in the Family, right? The Jeffersons, and Good Times. And Good Times, Norman Lear. And all three of them were cultural hits. That's right. Now you can release a billion things, and you get you know, and then you get one Barry. You know what I mean? Right. And you get, it's just, you get a euphoria. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there was the golden age. I mean, the surprise. But everything would hit because they would focus on just making one thing good. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because I also remember TV being, even though there was great things like the Norman Lear shows, tons of bad shows that were But they still made a mark. It made a mark, but the things that made... I don't know if ALF was bad. I never really watched it, but, but it made a mark. Right, but the... Silver cri- Spoons made a mark. But the but the tip of the spear, at least until very recently, was theatrical film. That was like... And everything trickled down. Yes. From the movie that was a hit that, w- that had made a cultural mark. I mean, Tarantino talks about that, right? He's like, what movie have you seen that was released directly for Netflix has made any impression whatsoever in the culture? Like Red Notice, whoever heard of... You know, and, it, and it's got he's all these correct. He is correct. I would say the what I think about is Squid Games. It's not a movie. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Right, it's Squid Games, right. which they found in Korea for nothing. Right, that's pretty. Do, do you know the story of that? So that director, the creator. Oh, oh, the, you, uh, 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 the the the, the, the Irishman. Uh huh. The Irishman. That made a mark. Yeah. No, and Breaking Bad, and you know, but few, that wasn't originally for Netflix. Right. Um, What's the story of Squid Games? Just that uh, he he went to USC Film School. He Squid Game guy. Yeah, so he had this image. I don't know if you remember in the opening in the pilot of the Korean doll, giant plastic doll with the eyes that are moving for the um, for the game, uh, red light, green light, mm-hmm. and when they're and then when they the last person gets shot, mm-hmm. right? 
So that doll that's saying it in Korean, red light, green light, red light, green light, and her eyes are mechanically moving around. He had this image in his head about this. so. So the cultural reference was something he knew that probably came from Korea, not from the U.S. Mm-hmm. But he had an image in his head, and that's the most. That's the thing I remember the most about that entire eight or ten episode series is that opening sequence. And so he started with the right sequence. It's close to the opening. I don't think it's the exact opening. It's close to the opening. But he started with that sequence, and that that came from something that was so compelling in his mind that he put it out there in front of people, and it compelled them too. And it's a great example of, like, the art is just... There's no, like, bean counting on art. It's None. like It's like a home run or a foul ball, right? It's, it's a... It's, this is this function called the Dirac delta function in physics where it's like everything's at zero and then all of a sudden it shoots up to infinity and comes back down. And like if you hit that one place where something resonates, like called the resonant frequency is another, is another concept. It's similar where that's what happens when there's feedback uh, with a microphone. Uh-huh. It suddenly goes to infinity. Okay. That's what happened with that idea. But I love that idea that that you could never plan on that. A guy had to think of something. He didn't actively think about it. It entered his mind. He was obsessed by it, and he stuck it in the beginning of his show. And then the result of that is his cultural phenomenon. Dude, I, I tell people that all the time. My buddy wants to make this movie with me, and he's like, well, we have to raise the money. And I'm like, it's not. this is not a raising of the money. It's, you have to take a chance. Mm-hmm. This is not the business to try to make money right you want to make something it has to be very risky right you know what i mean if you're an independent producer that's what you have to do it don't sit there and try to do a calculation yeah because you can't like my friend another director michael Lattis, who's a friend of mine he said you can't put a price on penguins remember march of the penguins yeah right came out in the summer and made 81 million right because how do you you can't. You can't. So it's like if you make something good, like you said, it goes back right. to Barry, something very original and unique, and you, if you make it for a price, they will come. Yeah. And they, they, and they have time. That's what all these streamers are doing. Streamers are discovering some older IP that they think is great that never got the push with marketing. Right. But, you know, so it's just – it's. but for me, the business is so different now. Like I, you probably – don't think it is but to me i think it's completely different i talk about it like what are movies even right now what are movies right what are movies julia roberts just did a movie for netflix right did you see it no exactly probably didn't even know about it george clooney did one did you see it no exactly like where what are people seeing like yeah you know it's it is it is quentin that's the last movies you know or yeah it's, it's tough. But what's the business? I, I, think, I think people are getting less because of all this stuff, and it's fine. I like social media, and right. I, I, I don't like because social media exposed a lot of lies, mm-hmm. which I think is good. Uh-huh. But it made everybody think that they're Tarantino, and they're not. I remember in the early 90s, maybe, when, like, um, Coffee houses started opening. Yep. And then 
that concept became branded, became Starbucks and, and became franchised and that everybody, uh, you couldn't get, all of a sudden you would sit down and buy and spend $5 on a coffee when it used to be 50 cents right before then, right? And people, I remember thinking, oh, people like doing this because they like the feeling of kind of being celebrities, <laughs> being able to go out and sit down and have a foo-foo coffee at like like they're in Paris or something in a cafe or whatever and spending that kind of money that's a kind of a crazy thing to spend money on but but they did it and then to me social media is like just an evolution <laughs> of that mentality where you can feel like you're elevated somehow because you're at a you know foo-foo cafe having your expensive latte or whatever you, you know what I mean I mean I guess the coffee was better for sure, mm-hmm. and coffee in the oh, 80s, it would be a cup of coffee with seventies, a cup of coffee with cream and sugar. You right. get a guy and you have a calculator, right. Texas Instrument, and he'd be at the office and he'd pick up his phone and go, "Hey, Joyce," and then let me get a cup of coffee. But, was but like the for co- detectives, right? Right, exactly. But the coffee house was like the experience of going out and doing it and feeling a little bit above the mundane. I think, and I think that social media is like a whole other level of trying to get that feeling and trying to get likes and trying to get people to pay attention to you and like you said the narcissism of it and whatever and some people have actually succeeded at doing it just through social media and just through youtube and tiktok and whatever which is kind of insane but i mean it's not insane it's not insane because there's there's somebody i think it was uh, my buddy, I think this is Brian Callen, said this. He said, the propping up of mediocrity <laughs> is is a huge thing happening in our society. Oh, that's interesting. But I hate to say this. How can I say this in a way that people aren't going to kill me here? There's very few. I think greatness is rare. Right. Well, by definition. Right. What does that mean? The definition of it says that? Well, greatness is rare by definition because if everything was great, then nothing would be great. <laughs> well, exactly. But what are we in now? We're in the everybody gets the, you know, a trophy tr- or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So if, to me, there's only one Angelina Jolie. Right. She's a, she's a Pantheon star that you put with the mural with Humphrey Bogart and Buster Keaton. You know what I mean? Right. Um, there's one of them in terms of millions, tens of millions of people that have acted and 100 million that tried and didn't do it. Right. Right? So you got one Angelina Jolie. Right. Well, if there was 10 million Angelina Jolies, she wouldn't be Angelina Jolie. Right. So all the other people that now have the power, they prop each other up because they're not Angelina Jolie. So that... Their value goes up. Her value doesn't go down, but the interest to her might go less because they're into each other going, well, we're not her, but we're doing our own thing, girl. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. But. So this, but, but then, and they're caught up in doing their own thing. So they're not going to look over here to Hollywood because they're doing their own stuff. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. To some, see, you still, I'm telling you, you still are holding no, 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 on. No, 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 no. I. 
I see it. Sorry. I see how people are so into their own thing now. They're actually getting mad at Hollywood. Oh, I'm sure. They're getting, they think they're bragging. They think they're pushing these agendas down. Right. If you watch award shows, now the Grammys were up like 50%. Oh, okay. But the Emmys were down like 50%. Down. So it's, I don't know. I just think that it's a fast. Well, I, I think there's, I think for however many years now, uh, there's an added, there's been an attitude of like, hey, just entertain me. <laughs> you don't have to give me your politics. Yes. Right? And yes. That's half the country saying, "Hey, shut, shut the f up!" Like, yes, and just make me laugh or make me enjoy the movie. I don't need to. It's not you're not an expert. I don't need to hear your opinion on. Yes, whatever. So that there's some resentment from that, or there's a lot, and then that coincided with this models of technology distribution just being transformed, and the ability for people to become known just by youtube or by tiktok or whatever and um and the like you said the authenticity of it like the idea that um it's not it's not like made up you know local news where they have like tons of makeup and tons of hair spray on and whatever it's just like a guy sitting with an opinion that talks for two hours i don't know where people by the way get two hours to listen to anything let alone this background noise background noise yeah they're doing something cleaning up and they put a pot on it's a big thing. Is that is that the thing? Mm-hmm. And actually, pod producers. What do you mean they're cleaning up? I mean, don't they? Look, look, look at the shelf I did. So I was at shelf on the other day. I was listening to a pod as I was organizing the shelf. Okay. And there's something that really strikes me. I rewind. So, like, instead of reading or something? Yes. Big time reading is. It's interesting. There was radio for a hundred or you know seventy five years. It's not like. But radio, you can't control what you listen to. Okay. This is all about control. Just like Spotify. You pick what you want. Right. That's the whole thing is what do I want? Right. When do I want it? Right. Can I have it now? Right. From Netflix to Postmates to whatever. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, it's a different world. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You, did you want me to like acknowledge that Hollywood is, that the movie business is going to go and kaput or something? I just don't know what movie houses are going to become. Right. I don't know what stardom is anymore. Right. I, you know, to me, it's well, it's not like Oppenheimer. Yes, Oppenheimer succeeded because of the stars. Right. Well, the stars. Even Barbie didn't succeed because of the stars, partly. But 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 <laughs> Ryan Gosling and, and 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 Margot Robbie are are real stars. They're stars. So it was Classic. the it was the combination of that plus the idea plus the idea the, the amazing story, amazing directing. Tone and yeah, everything. it was incredible. Funny. Oppenheimer and it was on and Oppenheimer but like I'm saying it's like it, a meal and dessert. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. But right. just as just as powerful to me. I mean I know Oppenheimer right. is very serious. Right. And it was amazing. Right, but Barbie was very effective. Dude yeah. Barbie was amazing. By the way, I love. I can't being, tell people enough. My to watch favorite it. scene in Barbie is when Ryan Gosling comes to the "quote unquote" real world, yeah. and he sees. And there's that montage of like how men are on the money and men are on, everything. and he's like, "Oh my god, I have, I have something to look look up to and to look forward to." So, you know what's funny? I I want to finish this because I got I don't want to lose this thought. Is that people got really mad about like saying it was a feminist movie? Maybe I, I missed the mark because I'm like. I get annoyed at woke and all that shit. Yeah. 
but I didn't think it was feminist at all. I thought it was yeah, right yeah. on the money. When here, here's the here's the crux of Barbie. Are you ready? Do you mind if I sing my song into your face for the next two hours? Do you remember that? Oh, I don't remember. He's that. playing guitar. He's wearing, and I was it's like, Ryan Gosling. I was crying. Yeah, crying at that part. Do you mind if I sing my song, my mediocre song, into your face for the next two hours? <laughs> Meaning that dudes will do that all the time to get chicks. They'll put on some right. stupid toque. That's right. what Canadians for a hat. And they'll sing one of their dumb songs by a fire and think it's going to, like, be the panty dropper. Right. And so, and girls are supposed to be like, oh, my God, you're the Sebastian Bach. Or, right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and I, that spoke to me in so many volumes of, like, how douchey dudes are. Yeah. Um, because I see them. And I just thought yeah. that was funny. So, probably people that got mad at that were the dudes doing that. But like a real rock star doesn't think, do that. I think they were because the word patriarchy was used so many but times. But it's funny. It's funny. It, it was, was funny. funny. The way. jokes were funny. Yeah. So if they're shitting on the patriarchy, right. if it's funny, it wins. Right. That's the problem. I it's agree. It's funny. Funny wins. And it was hilarious. And yeah. it was perfectly cast. And Yeah. Like. By the way, I wanted to ask you a question. Go for it. I'm thinking of doing a, a film directing online class. You're doing a pitch right now. I'm just asking, what do you think? I mean, so so it would be like a course on how to introduce the main character, how to compose, how to stage, how to how to um, edit, you know, how to light for mood, how to direct actors, everything. Mm. It'd be just a series, but it'd be live. So I'd be able it's not like a recorded thing. It'd be live on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then people could ask questions and I would be able to, what do you think of that? Okay. Well, like we, you, we talked about this. There's master class. Master class, but that's like a recorded thing. Okay. Well, first of all, I mean, if anyone could do it, you could do it. Uh-huh. Because you're not going to leave any stone unturned. You have a ton of schooling on it. You have a ton of expertise by doing it from little movies to big Hollywood movies. Right. You absolutely have the the love of cinema. Like, you know, you're known for like big broad movies, but you know Jacques Tati. Like, right. you introduce me to directors I don't even know. Right. So it's like you're a cinephile. Right. Like you could sit with anyone. And so you are one of them. You know what I'm saying? There's no difference between you and the great directors in town except the hit. Right. You just need a hit, right? So do I think it's good? Yes. Do I think people will learn a ton? Yes. But you have to have structure and you have to say it's an hour or an hour 15 yeah. or whatever. Um, do I think people will buy it? Sure. For sure. I think it's I mean, a good I had, idea. I mean, I did a, I was, I was offered, I was to be hired to teach at a film school in LA based on a demo I did and they loved it. And then there was another college where I did it for a friend online. And they loved it. And so it went well. And I just thought, oh, this could be fun. Like, just to convey. Because I think, and who makes this point? I'm trying to remember. Like, a bunch of people make this point. When you teach something, that's when you know how much you know it. And also where you learn the most. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're kind of recapitulating things that you know and then discovering new things as you do it. So I just think it would be a nice engine for keeping fresh. For yourself as well. For myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pitching it right now. Uh, it's something I'm thinking of doing. And you're pitching it to this audience. 
I don't know if I'm pitching it to this audience. Feels but I'm like just you saying, are, Larry. That was a soft sell. Oh, soft sell, maybe. I don't know. I just, I'm, yeah. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the entertainment business, I'm having a midlife crisis. Why? Because I think I'm probably, I've done so many different things. And now I'm just at the point where I just want to be me. And I think just screaming out into the ether <laughs> is where I'm at. And that's okay. People, and people, I think me as a character, me as myself, might be more interesting than any character I ever played. Am I? I might be lying. I might not be. Right. Well, I think pe- people initially gravitated towards you because of the characters you played. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Randy on Scream or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you bring something of yourself to the character you play, and that's partly what resonates with them. So now when you expose yourself directly for some of those people, that's interesting. Yes, for some. That's, that resonates even more. Mm-hmm. And also it shows that you're, this image that someone might have in their mind of you as a character in a movie, now they get to kind of listen to you um, as a person, just like them. Some people really love it. And some people don't. They don't want it to see. They don't right. want to see behind the character. Right. Well, that was the that was the premise of all the movie stars of yesteryear, right? Just completely separate your public persona from your private persona, and your public persona becomes a piece of PR, right? And it changed. I mean, all those old time movie stars, they didn't like go on radio programs and just talk about their problems <laughs> and talk about the no. state. They didn't talk about the state of the movie business or the radio business or the incoming TV business, which was going to decimate the movie business. Nobody said anything. No. Right. They just had an image. <clears throat> they but had manufactured relationships. Rock Hudson. Right. Wow. Yeah. I think somebody told me Al Pacino said that. Al Pacino said that? That. It's so different now. Yeah. Larry, I wish we had more time. That was great. I wish that you would open up more and get crazy like you do when you're not the camera's <laughs> off. I think your online class is a great idea. Tell people where the cut's going to come out. The cut's coming out soon. Shit, I don't know yet. We're working hard on it. But yeah, believe in it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet, but soon. Okay. And then the... Uh, I, I created a little uh, email for the for the class. Say the email. Can I say the email? Yes, of course you can. How to direct movies at gmail.com. Ooh. So you want people to email you. How to direct movies at gmail.com. Email Gary. I mean Larry. Damn, see that? It's Gmail, my brain. <laughs> um, and we're gonna see what the interest is. Yeah. All right. I love and, you. And boy. if there is some, you know, I'll do it. Okay. Thanks, buddy.